Well, we are back on a Wednesday and we are still in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a good look at chapter 3 and 4 today and get ourselves ready, braced for the big ordeal of chapter 5 to come. Uh, those of you that have been following, you're ready for this, but just to remind yourself, you might want to look at 1 Corinthians 2. And the last section of that is where Paul talks about that the Holy Spirit has given them the message, uh, Paul and the apostles, and that they are sharing it to you. And that Paul will actually in that section, that chapter, by saying, I have the mind of Christ. I, I know what I'm talking about here. In Corinth, they weren't sure that Paul did. We've talked about this in our introduction to the book. Uh, this is probably 2 Corinthians. There are a lot of indications in here of a previous letter we don't have. The church in Corinth was very, very Greek. And I know that sounds like duh if you know that Corinth is in Greek. But Rome had conquered Greek Greece uh, many, many years before. And then Greece returned the favor, but only culturally. In other words, Rome conquered it militarily and ruled it administratively. But then... Here comes the culture. Everybody wanted to be like the Greeks. They wanted to have that same kind of arguments and say, because that was a big pastime. They wanted the same plays. They, they, they wanted all of that, uh, that really upper Greek culture. And so the Corinthians kind of thought of themselves as pretty much hot stuff. And for some reason, there are people in Corinth, uh, quite a sizable group, that were questioning and highly questioning Paul's character, uh, his being an apostle at all, or being, or being the appropriate minister for them, and if what he was saying is really what they were supposed to do. They were denigrating his character. So he has to answer a series of questions that they are, they are flinging at him in this book is when he answers the questions. And you'll be able to spot them as we go through. I'll try to point them out as we go. It would be nicer if it was all arranged that way for us, but the Bible wasn't written to us, it was written for us. It was written to them. So we have to go back and see it through their eyes and not with our 2021 vision, with their vision. Well, in chapter three, he says, I can't even come at you as adults. I can't even sit down and have an adult conversation with you because you're still babies. You, you're just complete infants in Christ. Now that's, that's pretty rough, but Paul was laying it out there because they've been treating him awful. And he goes, you know how I know? It's because you're arguing and you're quarreling. Again, we don't want to go too far afield from where Paul's going with this. But isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't talk about, well, you got the wrong doctrine, or you don't worship right, or I don't like the way you dress, or I don't... No, we can tell Jesus isn't among you by the way you quarrel and argue with each other. Where's the contentment? Where's the peace? Where's the love? Where's the grace? And he goes on to say, you're, you're even picking sides, like I belong to Apollos or I belong to Christ. And he says, listen, all we do as messengers of God's word plant the seed but it's up to God who makes the thing grow we can plant it we can water it it's all up to God now by the way there was a very Greek sentiment he was using uh, Paul always knew who he was talking to and framed his words and arguments appropriately 
so to the Greeks, he really was a Greek when, when they were setting up an argument of, they would say, well, all we can do is plant and water, it's up to the gods. Well, he says, well, I planted, Apollos watered, but God decided what to build. You are God's field, God's building, he says. And you here is not as individuals, but the collective. Corinth, team up. Corinth, quit team picking and team up with each other. Be on team Jesus. And that's a lot better. Do not equate team Jesus with team Patrick or team Rubel or team Rick or team... None of us want you to be on our team. We just want to be on team Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying here. Then he goes, be very, very careful what you are building. Because when fire comes, he doesn't say if, when fire comes, it's going to burn and show what you made your house of. I always think of the three little pigs here. Because he even talks about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay. Uh, he says, you know, if you, um, if you build out the wrong stuff, it's going to be revealed. But what he's really talking about there, and he does lay it out, is you've got to build on a foundation that is Christ and nothing else, just Christ. Now, those of you who, who do this in order every week, and God bless you, because your, your love, your prayers, and those of you who can give and are giving, wow, thank you. It means everything to us that we can continue this. But the point being, you know a continuum because you listen on Sunday to the lesson, and then you listen Monday morning message, and then you come here for midweek. If you do that, you know the last Monday morning message was about the parable of the dragnet and the parable of the wheat and tears and the, uh, the plank or the speck in your eye and all about not judging others. And it was uh, generated by an, uh, an email from a sweet Christian lady. Uh, no, con no criticism of her, uh, spoken or implied who said, well, I need to know your feelings about this group because if you accept them, I don't want your teachings in my life. You know, she's very upfront and honest and I appreciated that. She has every right to ask to say those things. So I went on to talk about these parables and why we don't do that judging, God does. And I took them all from the lips of Jesus. And as you might expect, I got some uh, emails, a lot positive, most of them are. I'm not walking about with dents in me from all the rocks the Pharisees throw. I, no. But some did come in over the wire. But the ones that, that trouble me most are the ones that come in from dear, sweet, good people who are saying, but, but, but. And then they will run to Paul and they'll run elsewhere to tell me what Jesus really meant. Or they'll even say, well, he, you know, he said judging. What he meant was hypocrisy. Don't do that. Don't read Jesus through Paul. Read Paul through Jesus. And by the way, I, I said that I read Paul through Jesus, not Jesus through Paul, online seven years ago. And the editor of one of the oldest Christian publications in our um, religious tribe called me a heretic for it and uh, got his cronies to uh, really go at me for about six months. I went ahead and just sent him back a quote, which he did not publish and did not acknowledge, from David Lipscomb, the founder of his paper, as well as the university here in Nashville, that said exactly the same thing. And that even said, 
when he reads Paul and is troubled by Paul, he remembers that Paul was a human trying to apply what he knew of Jesus to the different situations in which he found himself. The silence back was deafening and they never shared the quote. That kind of tells all I need to know. How about you? Now that he says, build on Christ, let's, let's focus on Christ, because when the fire comes through, he says, where's your foundation? He says, you might live, but only as through the fire, because you are on Christ. You're on that foundation. So make sure you stay on Christ. Well, then he says something, which has made it, made it into my life in many, many uh, youth Bible classes. We didn't go to youth r uh, rallies because my father disapproved of them, um, but we would go to, um, to Bible classes. And they would read 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, putting on their frowny faces. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Um, and they look at us and say, you are the temple of God, don't smoke. If you smoke, you're harming your body, and your body is the temple of God. And don't drink, same thing. And don't dance and play with cards and for, for reasons. Not what it means. And so later, I had preachers who would say, that's not what it means. It means that you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you in, uh, you, you are to uh, treat your body right and make it behave right and they're so, so close. In fact, everything they say is true. You individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying you collectively are the body. You collectively are the temple. Later on, he's even gonna say, if you take the Lord's Supper without accepting that these people are the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourselves. You've got to accept these people. Jesus died for these people. The, the theme is consistent. So don't hunt and peck and don't try to tell me what Jesus really meant by going elsewhere. Doesn't, doesn't work well. Do not deceive yourselves, he says. If any of you think you're wise by the standard of this age, you are fools. Once again, who's he speaking to? Greeks. What do Greeks value above all else? Wisdom and being seen as wise. And he says, you think you're pretty smart, but you're smart in things of this world. It's, it's rather like, oh, you got your PhD. What'd you get it? Oh, you got it in astrology. Hmm. Not astronomy, which is a thing, but astrology, which is nonsense. Becoming an expert in something which isn't real. Like I have a, a doctorate in hunting ghost on A&E. <laughs> what? Um, so you got a doctorate for hunting things that you never do catch, mind you. It's like trying to chase Bigfoot. Um, Bigfoot is an article of faith because uh, it is without evidence, but um, okay. You know, you'll see a show up on Finding Bigfoot. And I'm going, nope, they, they should put it not Finding Bigfoot, but hearing noises in the woods because there are noises in the woods. Anyway, he's saying just, you're acting like you're smart, but you're not. 
Paul could be pretty blunt. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. For as it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul, Apollos, Apollos Cephas, or, or the world, or life, or death, the present, or the future, all are yours because you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. So, what's he going to do now? Saying, all right, stop the quarreling, stop the complaining, stop the arguing. Acknowledge that all of these people are the body of Christ. Hold on to each other. Love one another. And now, you're going to have to figure out who to listen to. And he goes, this then is how you ought to regard us. Remember, Paul, Paul's kind of on trial here via letter. Paul hadn't done anything wrong, but he's been charged. He's been charged by some people at Corinth with a vast thing, a vast list of things we talked about. His character, whether or not he's really an apostle. And there are people that live to do that about churches. And they'll attack any Christian leader the same way, still yet today. And they'll do it in this, oh yeah, but so I love them. No, you don't. Don't trouble the temple of God. He goes, we are servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. All right, so he lays out, I give that, I get you. you. You have the right to say, wait, he was given this trust. Did he live up to that? Or did he, did he fail? He goes, all right, I'm not on trial here. That's, he actually says that in verse three. He goes, I'm not being judged by any human court here. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. It's always nice to remember. Somebody comes at you and they're going, you know what's wrong with you? You know the 23 things I have against you? Please remember in your head while they're droning on and on that Jesus loves you. He knows all the bad about you and he loves you. Not a thing you've ever done, ever done in your life has shocked God. You've never made Jesus cry by not finishing your green beans or by not being a great kid when your parent asks you to do something. No, he didn't cry. He wasn't shocked. He knew this before he came. He knew what we were like and he loved us anyway. So Paul's saying, you can say what you like, but Christ loves me and has given me a job. In fact, he goes, my, my Lord judges me, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time just like I said Monday, people, don't be judging. Wait till the Lord comes. That's what he says next. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, starting in verse 6, he goes, I've applied myself, uh, these things to me and to Apollos for your benefit. Um, that you may learn from us the, the, the meaning of the written, of the saying rather, that is written, do not go beyond what is written. Once again, when Jesus plainly says something, let's not twist it to make it work better within our brain's economy. No, just don't go beyond what is written. Then, then he goes further, 
then you will not be puffed up being a follower of one of us against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What is it you have that, you know, what do you have that you didn't receive as a gift? And if you did receive it, why did you boast as if you didn't? In other words, I have a, God gives us is what God gives us. And so we should be very humble and use it to help the community and let the community help us in return. I have great neighbors. We are, we are a wonderful, diverse neighborhood, red and yellow, black and white. And I wish everybody could get along like our neighborhood. Uh, it's, it's like people try to outdo each other in being good to each other. And again, race barriers don't matter and religion doesn't matter. Whatever. It's just because this is our community. Look, it's, it's really very, very cool that they look for ways to serve one another rather than for ways to rat out somebody to the HOA. Hmm. And Paul gets sarcastic in the next passage. Paul can do that. Um, before you get really upset at that, read the book of Job, starting around chapter 38, and you'll see that God can get kind of sarcastic too with Job. He'll say, can you make this animal go be a pet, fetch things for you? Just goes on and on into absurdities. Well, Paul does exactly the same thing here. He goes, oh wait, I forgot. You know everything. You are all wise. You already have all that a person could need. You're reigning already. You are already princes of the church. You know, he doesn't use that phrase, but he goes on and on. He goes, not like us, not like us. You're so much better than us. And Paul and Apollos, I mean, we're poor, we're hungry, we're a spectacle. People look at us and, and they tisk, tisk in our direction. And, they, and they, they, they'll wag their fingers and go, oh, that's such a shame about them, isn't it? And they will, you know, he even says, you are honored, we are dishonored. We're hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. That's another thing. Um, Paul, was probably telling the truth about his situation here, but I think he was mainly using this as a form of argument because when people say, you know, I know this and I'm going to this, and there are, you know, nobody really likes that guy anyway anymore. You ought to see, and in his heart, he's always miserable because he knows we all know what's true about him. You've heard these arguments used against fellow Christians all your life. And Paul's saying, look at this argument. You are so great. And yet, verse 12, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. We take it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. And then he says, I'm not trying to shame you. It sure feels like he is. He goes, I'm not trying to shame you, but to warn you. If you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, in other words, people that keep you in the faith, your community that keeps you moving forward, moving strong, because you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Boom. Um, oh, and he's not done. He is not done at all. The, the whole book is going to follow like this. He goes, you, 
you're going to have to understand something. You're using all this stuff against me, but I was the father who brought you the faith. Now, that indicates to me that some of the people in Corinth fomenting problems, by no means all, were probably Christians who were Jews, who Paul will refer to as Judaizing Christians. They are, or the Judaizers. They are trying to pull Christians back into Judaism by saying you add Christ to Judaism, but you don't, you, you, you have to be a Jew. You have to follow all these laws. Why do I say that? Because to the Jews, you would never rise above your father. Never, period. Uh, in class, it's, uh, nations that are really ruled by class, and a lot of the British are still ruled by class. And, you can see it in the structure of their police forces and uh, the governments and, and the like. But when I think of nations ruled by class, I, th I think of places like India, where the caste system, no matter how long it's been outlawed, is still very much front and center. The Jews believed that you would never rise above your father. And so Paul is saying, who's your daddy? Who's your father? That's gonna make some uncomfortable conversations. He goes, no, I need you to follow me because I'm the father here. Now, is this a way to, um, to justify calling our religious leaders father? No, he's not using it as a title. He's using it as, as a description of historical events. I'm the one that brought you the faith. You have a lot of guardians that are helping you stay in it, but remember where you got it. He goes, for this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, there's, there's, this is where Paul has a really, really good argument that the Corinthians are going to have to deal with. You might say, but he, you know, he's inspired by God. They're all good. Okay, yeah, sure. Fair enough. But this one. This one is probably the most effective. He's saying, if I'm all these horrible things, look behind me. What have I left behind me? Tragedy, chaos, death, or did I leave behind me churches, faith, sharing, and grace? Then look at me. How do I live my life? How do I treat, Paul won't say this, I'll, I'll talk like, how do I treat my church? How do I respond to emails and text? How do I respond to attacks? What do I do with my money? How much of it do I give away? What is my character like? Uh, do I treat my wife with grace? And do I, uh, do I flirt with women that aren't my wife? Do I beat my children? Do I beat your children? You know, what's, look at my character, the way I've lived my life. It's a huge argument. And all of us need to work to where we can say what Paul says here. He says, some of you become arrogant as if I'm not coming to you, but I will come very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. If... All right, I, I talked about three little pigs a while ago and uh, you've got, if, if uh, you're of a certain generation in your head, that old, what, early 60s, maybe late 50s song, My Boyfriend's Back, 
has got to be in your head right now. It's, a, it's one of those cute little rock and roll songs before rock became so earnest and then died at the lips, at the foot of disco and disco died at pop. Um, and now pop and R&B. Anyway, go back. The, the, my Boyfriend's Back is um, a song sung by a teenage high school girl that is being slandered and mistreated by boys. But now her boyfriend's coming back and you're going to be in trouble. It's a great, great wee song. And it's a great wee tune. It's in, in your head for the rest of the day. And I, I know the words you're searching for there, so I'll just respond. You're welcome. Um, he says, you're very arrogant, like I'm not coming back, but I'm coming back. And then he goes, what? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come with love and with a gentle spirit? For all my dad's faults, uh, there were... There were some things that he did that were very reminiscent of our Father in Heaven. In the Old Testament, God would say, I set before you life or death. Choose. Well, not a hard decision, but I can remember once we had one of these hover vacuums because Dad really thought it was a very, very exciting thing. It's this little green ball. And the vacuum would suck air in and then out the bottom uh, of the vacuum and so it, it rode kind of on it didn't have wheels it was just kind of ride around on on air and if you're thinking that's super cool kind of except you can't really filtrate well anyway we, dad got it and eventually it quit working so dad took it apart to fix it and dad could fix stuff pretty well i didn't inherit this but he then he handed me the motor and i'm holding the motor and he reached over and he plugged it in. Sparks began to fly. I dropped the motor. He pulled the plug. He said, why did you drop it? And I said, Sparks? I, I, I was afraid. And he just looked at me and he says, Patrick, you have a decision to make. Are you more afraid of that motor or me? I picked it up. Kind of like, I'll be right there, Jesus. Always say that inside, by the way. Always say it inside, not outside. You know, uh, and again, you might be thinking, what a horrible thing. No, don't, don't miss the message. Paul's looking at him going, how do you want me to show up when I walk through the door? You want me to come in with a club? He doesn't say a club. He says a rod of discipline. And those weren't used to beat you. Those were used to guide you and poke you pretty hard, though. Or do you want me to come in with love and a gentle spirit? Wow. Now, some of the people that were troubled by Monday morning's message this week referred to, what about, what about the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? We're going to do that next week, Lord willing. Thank you for being a part of this week. Thank you for loving us so much at our safe harbor. Thank you for supporting us. It just means the world to us. Please go to www, of course, OurSafeHarbor.com and read, see what's going on. Um, Subscribe to the newsletter. We'd love sending that out once a week. We never, never, never overuse your email, period. And then uh, also, if you have a question, it's patrick at rsafeharbor.com. May God give you grace and peace this, this entire week. We'll see you next time.